0: Why spend hours searching dealerships, comparing makes and models? Find the best of BC's inventory in one place, todaysdrive.com. You'll have access to inventory across BC, where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. Get in the driver's seat. Don't miss out on the many options we have available for you. Powered by Black Press Media, todaysdrive.com connects you with exclusive new and used car deals. Welcome to PQ Beat, a podcast
1: of the Parksville Qualicum Beach News. Hi everyone, welcome to PQ Beat. I'm Philip Wolf, editor of the PQB News and Vancouver Island Daily. School has resumed in the Qualicum School District and around the province, with the post-holiday break presenting a series of unique challenges. Here to discuss those, as well as look ahead to more of 2022. We're happy to welcome back the Superintendent of Schools for School District 69. Thanks for joining us again, Peter Jory. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. It's been an interesting school year, to say the least. School restarted the first week of January with a limited number of students, with more arriving the following week. How has the restart gone so far? Well, for us,
2: it's going very, very well. I think our high vax rates... And general high mask uptake has really helped us keep the transmission low in the community and, of course, keep the transmission low in our schools. So right now, our attendance rate is mid-80s for students, which is right on par with what we normally have at this time of the year. And uh, more than 90% of our staff are uh, available for work. And so we're in very good shape. Planning went well. We've made some adjustments to our safety protocols to create more space and just be more cognizant of different kinds of uh, interactions. We're doing quite well, and that's not the case everywhere. What are some of the main challenges? In other places where the vax rates are lower or there's a real reluctance to wear masks, you're seeing more transmission happening. You're also seeing people refuse to come to work, and so that's putting pressure on the system. And uh, as you know, there's a couple of places that have already had functional closures, I'm anticipating that we're going to see more of that through the the rest of the week.
1: You mentioned the two other schools in Hazleton and Surrey that have stopped in-person classes just two days in, basically, uh, due to the uh, COVID-19 Omicron variant. And they made the decision to enter these functional closures. What might your district do to prevent or delay something like that? I'll talk about that in a moment.
2: I'd like to talk a little bit about my experience with a functional closure because we did have one when I was in Salmon Arm. It was um, an afternoon, and, uh, and of course, we were, we were always, you know, getting reports about uh, different uh, positive cases in our system. And so I was in constant contact with the contact tracers, and one phones me up and says, hey, uh, you know, I think we got this one circled at this particular school. And I'm, Oh, good news, good news. And then two hours later, she's phoning me back. Um, we don't have it circled. And, uh, and so a, a number of students, some staff, were testing positive, and we were going to exclude a class or two at that particular time. But we were still open for business. Well, at 7 o'clock the next day, I got a phone call. We'd only had three of 12 classrooms available. Staff were not available for work. Replacements were not willing to go there at that particular time. And so what we did is uh, deployed central staff there to cover. Small school of 120 kids, only 40 students came. And so we sorted it all out and divided everybody, covered covered the ground. and, uh, And over the course of the day, most of those kids stayed home. But it was clear that we couldn't be in session, and so I worked with the ministry and, and called the functional closure. And in that particular case, it was a good thing because as the contact tracing continued, as the testing continued, we really ended up excluding almost the entire school, and so we would have been unable to be in session anyway. But the functional closure was a bit of a, a circuit breaker in that case. Now, it, it was really instructive around how, COVID works, though. It, it's a bit like popping popcorn. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing, a couple of pops, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> pop, 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 there it is. And we go very quickly from it seeming like nobody has it to seeming like everybody has it. That kind of understanding of you know, how it comes at you is helpful when you start to plan. So for us, it's, it's really about tracking as closely as we can to see the signals of this happening right? And so I'm now getting daily attendance reports for students, which I don't normally look at. And now I'm getting daily attendance reports for staff. And I'm looking very carefully across the roster, teachers, support workers, locations, even communities to some extent, trying to pick up on a bit of a signal that maybe this is starting to surge on us. And if we can anticipate that, we might be able to do some planning. So the messaging, I mean, there's an order of operations to coming back. I mean, safety plans first, and then planning to have Lots of absenteeism with students, and then what are we going to do if we have to have a functional closure? And the next level is how do we delay that or prevent it? And it comes down to us understanding how many different types of workers do we need in each particular building in order to function? And then how can we move people around and keep open as long as possible? If we start to have some activity, you know, can we move custodians from site to site? Well, we already do that. Can we, we double up on our bus routes, have maybe a a two hour delay in the morning, but still ostensibly get our kids to school, which is better than, you know, for four hours rather than not at all. Uh, What can we do with our EAs to reallocate them from site to site so that we can at least have coverage where we absolutely need to have coverage. And so if we're able to get a bit of a heads up, We can start to activate those shifts in our staffing a day or two in advance, give people a heads up that this is going to happen, and potentially work through some absenteeism difficulties, stay open, or at least delay a closure and give people uh, a chance to get ready and, you know, have daycare, home care for their own children. really don't like leaving people short in that way. So we're planning. That being said, you heard the popcorn analogy. I mean, sometimes you go from zero to 60 And there's not much
1: you can do about that. Are there any plans down the line for things like online learning?
2: Well, if we do have functional closures, we'll be in a situation where we're going to be looking at our teaching roster and whether they're available or not. In some cases, they will have failed a health check. And it's like the old days. You know, you just have a bit of a cold, but you're still going to work. Well, we don't do that right now, right? But you could, if you had a sniffle, a sore throat, see your class for 40 minutes, give them some instructions, give them a little bit of support, have some material online for them, and have them actually continue on with at-home learning to some degree. Well, that's a lot better than nothing, right? And so if we have functional closures, we'll be looking at, at what we can do. This was all part of the planning process from that first week after winter break, and hopefully we'll be able to
1: carry on to some degree. What are some of the primary concerns that have been expressed to you by parents and teachers?
2: Well, you know there's a big range across our communities, every community, in how they're kind of interpreting this information and how they're feeling about things. And that moves around depending on, you know, how long we've been doing it and every other such thing. There are people that think that we're overreacting. We should just be in session no matter what and, and you know, and let's stop talking about this. And then there's people that think we should be in a full circuit breaker, closed down for a month, and, and don't do anything. But the bulk of the population, most of the people, two standard deviations probably, are in the middle saying, okay, this is tough stuff, not super happy about it, but we're with you. And really, most people have been very, very supportive. But we do hear the noise on both ends.
1: The area has also recently been hit with some significant snowfall. What goes into deciding if it's a snow day, and and how does that information get disseminated? That was my first snow day as a senior staffer. <laughs>
2: uh, uh, I'd experienced it as as a student. I loved it. Of course who doesn't what, what kid doesn't wanna have a snow day? And as a teacher, of course. And principals don't like snow days very much because they're they're still trying to get to school and open the building and take a kid or two if they need to and you know, be on the phone managing all this, maybe even doing some shoveling. But in the previous jobs that I've had, Squamish, where I was there for five years, and then Salmon Arm for four years, they're used to snow. They've got a whole Armada of trucks and plows. Everybody's got four wheel drive, snow tires, and they're just ready for this. And it it, it's on the ground for a lot of the year in these places, and so they're dealing with that. And so we were able to stay open. Of course, when you get to Vancouver Island, maybe not a great fiscal decision to have a fleet of trucks ready to go that you might not even be able to use in a given year. Furthermore, people don't tend to have snow tires. And I did a little audit in a parking lot the other day. I only saw one set. You know, the rest seem to be all season. So, when, when we get snow, and it's often very thick and gooey, we got to act accordingly. This particular case, both the neighboring districts were out, and we were already at essential workers and exceptional needs only. About 5% of our kids are in session. It wasn't that tough a call. It took me two hours to get in my own driveway. That tells you how deep it actually was. Bit of a fussier process than I would have thought. I was following the, the information that was created a couple of years ago or recreated a couple of years ago, and we've got to contact the radio stations, we've got to go on the social media, got a phone tree, and it all starts actually at about 5 in the morning when our general manager of operations is out driving the roads and following those bus routes just to see what it's really like out there, and then him phoning me and advising me on, on how safe it actually might be for people to travel, so... It's a little comprehensive. Do some children still show up to school? Well, we'll keep our doors open the best we can. And depending on how much snow is on the ground and depending on how much movement there might be, we're going to see different levels of interest in actually attending. And that particular day, because most people were already not going to go to school, was quite deep and thick to the degree where people weren't budging first thing in the morning. We didn't see any kids. But in other circumstances, we might be partially open and in a situation very similar to where we were in the first week of January where we will open our doors, we will give your kids shelter, we will look after them. We might not be doing instruction,
0: but we are open. Searching for a new home? Make todayshomebc.com your online home base. With easy-to-search listings and connections to local realtors, everything you need is under one roof. Powered by Black Press Media. You can search hundreds of local listings, all in one place. Access the top real estate professionals to help you find the perfect home today at todayshomebc.com.
1: Shortly after we're recording this, uh, the Board of Education has invited staff, parents, guardians, and community members to join in the first virtual town hall conversation uh, to support district long-term facility planning. Can you give us some details on what you hope to get from that event and why is planning so important? Yeah, every district needs to go through planning processes uh, for facilities. That's
2: part of our annual process. We give a submission to the Ministry of Education, and so they have an idea of what our expectations or needs might be so they can put that into the, the big picture on their their end. And periodically, the district really needs to do a deep dive and really do a review of, of the enrollment projections, capacities... And then also needs and wants and interests uh, across the community. And so we're at that point where we're due for that deeper check in. By the time you see this or hear this, uh, would have said is it helps us be much more efficient in our own decision making. It keeps us from spending money or deploying staff time and then having to go back and undo that because we've learned something new or different. It pushes us to actually. You know, learn some things and make some decisions and, and ostensibly make more efficient, more productive, more educationally, fiscally sound choices. In our particular case here, this isn't a situation where we're looking at accessing ministry capital funding. We have quite a few school sites. Our overall capacity, if we were to reopen buildings, I mean, we have enough classroom space for years and years to come. So it's about making decisions around how we allocate students. Uh, how we use the space that we have, how we might open up the buildings that have been closed in previous years, what do we do with our catchments, You know, do we stop using our, our spaces as uh, you know, foods rooms, metal rooms and, and project rooms and use them as standard classrooms and create a bit of a hierarchy around this and so staff knows how to go through that decision tree and this is governance work. Our board's excited to have a conversation with the community and really drill down on what people are thinking and feeling and, and preferring.
1: What are your thoughts on the continued efforts to upgrade the running track at Bellina Secondary, and how involved is the district in those plans? Well, this is a great partnership that we have with our three communities,
2: Nanaimo, Qualicum, and Parksville. We've signed an agreement, and we're working together and raising the funds and and creating a a shared use agreement so that it's going to benefit everybody. According to the Oceanside Track website, we're at 55% of our required funding, and got our own trustee, Elaine Young, as a key member of this committee and our own director of instruction, Rudy Terpstra, supporting the process as well. And so fundraising is going quite well. Elaine Young's got her own one person walkathon. We've got grant money that we're looking into and, of course, lots of community business sponsorship. And, uh, and so I think there's an overall sense of optimism that this will get done.
1: Late last school year, the district received its first fully electric school bus, bringing you one step closer to the listed goal of carbon neutrality. Are there more on the way or any other initiatives along those lines on the go? Being environmentally responsible is
2: really important to our Board of Education. It's a focus for us to be efficient in our own power use and to be cognizant of the waste that we're creating and to do whatever we can to work towards that carbon-neutral goal. It's it's tough. It's a ways down the road for us, for sure. But they're always open to ideas that can move us along that continuum. issue with uh, electrical buses is um, they're quite expensive, and the charging stations are quite expensive, Um far more expensive than a, than a conventional gas or diesel bus. And so we're hopeful that the ministry is going to continue to help us with grant money and so we can increase the size of our fleet of electric buses. Meanwhile, we've got a, a district committee that's committed to moving the district forward and forming our practice, and we'll see different kinds of changes as we move forward. For me as an educator, though, I'm really interested in how environmental stewardship can uh, fit into the curriculum and and how the curriculum can support that and have our students be leaders in this. I think that's really the key to change, is having our students really embrace this as something that's important and help change the minds of their fellow students and, more importantly, everybody else in the community. We're seeing that happen. We've got groups of students out there that are real advocates.
0: From the latest community news to informative, entertaining reads for travellers and the Cannabis Curious. Just visit your local Black Press Media community newspaper website to sign up today.
1: Just how resilient have the children and the teachers been through this entire pandemic?
2: Well, we're almost at the two-year mark for our community. I mean, obviously, this started to happen in other countries in December and January of two years ago. For us in British Columbia, I think the date is March 13th, and that's when we were called to a meeting and told, you need to stay home. You're not going on vacation and we're going to be planning and we're having the shutdown and all the rest of that came right out of those conversations. It's been tiring for everybody. You know, every time you look forward and think, okay, just a little bit longer and then we're out, then something else happens and something else happens. And of course, right now we're in the middle of this uh, this surge caused by the Omicron variant. My hope, of course, is that, you know, this is the last hurrah. And then after this, there'll be herd immunity or basically a dying off of the virus. And then we can get back to some of the things that we were really excited about that keep kind of being pushed down the road. But people have been great. Overall, they've been fantastic, very sad or or anxious and almost entirely bounce back and kind of come back at it and uh, with renewed vigor so hopefully we'll be able to kind of push through this next couple months and get on to those brighter days that we're all looking forward to
1: along those lines what are your hopes or goals for the rest of the school year and beyond A lot of the
2: things that we stopped doing, we've tried to start back up again. You know, professional learning often was put on hold, and some of those large gatherings, you know, where we get together as a community and celebrate success like a graduation. Those are the types of things we really want to embrace when it becomes safe to do so. It means a lot to people. Learning's important to the system. We'll do as much as we can. I think everybody is really excited to whatever kinds of possibilities we might be able to carry through with later on.
1: Not today. Peter, thanks so much for joining us again. Greatly appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me. That's this edition of PQBeat, produced by the Parksville Qualicum Beach News. Thank you for joining us. If you have suggestions for topics or guests, we would like to hear from you. You'll find our contact information on our website, pqbnews.com.
0: Canadianevergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green. Offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media.